Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, today we're going to be talking about healing the brain through changing your gut function. Now, we've talked about gut brain function. We've talked about um, vaccinations, how that can damage the gut. Glyphosates can damage it. Pesticides can damage it. <clears throat> and in fact, when you're looking at gut function, it is everything. Uh, but now, but the medical world is not really taught about detoxing or healthy gut function. So unless you're you're hanging out with chiropractors or naturopaths or homeopaths, you're not going to really get this this um, information. So let's look at first world epidemics right now. One in two get cancer, one in two have depression, one in three got di- um, obesity. Uh, that autism, it's one in 38, maybe, you know, it's actually one in 27. Just know it's going to be, eventually it's going to be a one in two, okay, of, of the kids today. And dementia affects one in one. So we've got a problem with the health of our population. Now, 80% of your immune system's in the gut. So what, knowing that these are all immune system related, either immune system, nervous system, what is the problem? Is it genetics, virus, bacteria, chemical imbalances? Uh, we don't have enough medications. We don't have enough vaccines. You know, I mean, what's, what's the real cause of this? Well, when we look at chronic illness, let's just take our kids, because whatever happens to the, um, the offspring of a population or of a species is pretty much pretending what is going to happen to the, the, the entire species. Uh, according to Harvard, okay, they said, quote, the number of children with chronic illnesses has quadrupled in the time since some parents were kids portending the more disability and higher health care costs for the new generation of adults. Uh, figure in 1994, we had 12% uh, chronic illness in kids. In 2006, it was 26%. Uh, 2018, it's 54%. Now, the CDC says these type of conditions that can damage the brain and immune system, they list medications, nutritional deficiencies, infections, poisoning brain tumors, and hypoxia or low oxygen. And and they're actually recommending, you know, get this, increased physical activity, a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, social engagement, I mean, fantastic. When we look at now, we're just now seeing lawsuits on glyphosates. And glyphosate is the main ingredient in Roundup. Now, it is the number one herbicide used in America. So it's in our air, it's in our water, it's everywhere. And it literally is cancer-causing. They've had a couple of lawsuits, and we're talking billions of dollars. But I want to go back to 2012. Now, this is back... Um, when I first came across Don Huber. Now, this guy, award-winning international scientist, professor emeritus of plant pathology at Purdue. Now, what he stated um, in 2012, quote, historians may look back and write about how willing we are to sacrifice our children and jeopardize future generations with a massive experience that's experiment that's based on false promises and flawed science just to benefit the bottom line of commercial enterprise. Okay, 
let me clue you into this again, just for the heck of it. Historians may look back and write about how willing we are to sacrifice our children and jeopardize future generations with a massive experiment that's based on false promises and flawed science just to benefit the bottom line of a commercial enterprise. Now, he was talking about Monsanto and glyphosates. He was not talking about the number of vaccines, although this, that statement applies to everything. So when we're talking about brain health and gut health, let's look at some of the, the challenges. Like if you look at the FDA.gov site, they say that some of the effects of, and we're talking the DPT shot, um, the theriopertussis pertussis and tetanus, and the measles, both can cause brain swelling. And the reason they cause brain swelling is because of the ingredients in it. Now, vaccine court will pay for brain swelling or encephalitis if you've been damaged within the first four, uh, what is it, 72 hours after a DPT shot and within the first 15 or actually not less than five days nor more than 15 days after the measles shot. So, you know, it, it's it's a little crazy. Um, what we really need, okay, and, and this is uh, one of the articles I presented last week, and this was in the Journal of Vaccines and Autoimmunity. Uh, they state that, that VAERS, or the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, reports about 10%, between 1% and 10% of the adverse events. Uh, well, between 1991 and 2001, so you're talking around 10 years, uh, there were 130,000 adverse events. So you could this could be 1% or it could be 10%. So you could multiply it by 10 and be safe. So you're looking at over a million adverse events. And, then, and what this article goes on to state, the clearest, most reliable way of determining whether an adverse event is causally related to a vaccination is by randomly comparing rates of events in vaccinated versus non-vaccinated individuals. I'm in total agreement with that. And, and so it's clear that you can't do one medical procedure for everyone. Not everyone is, has the one nutrient deficiency. Not everyone is going to respond the same way to the same medication. If we could, and, and, and it's, it's exciting when we get away from the politics because no one would complain about a vaccine that's by your own choice and that's been proven safe and effective. Not, you should first, you get a reaction, oh, damn, bummer, we made a mistake. Here you go, you know, you're just in the lines of the vaccine damaged. So, so this is kind of cool. It's out of the EPMA journal, a European journal. And the title of the article is Vaccine and Autoimmune Disease. Is Prevention of Adverse Effects on the Horizon? Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, this article goes on to state, these observations raise the problem whether vaccination should be recommended or avoided in autoimmune risk patients. It's very exciting time because if you can identify a genetic variant or that a person is going to have a negative response before they get it, fantastic, then nobody would be against vaccines. They might be against them forced vaccines or forced medical procedure, 
but you have to look at the risk-benefit ratio. And if you're looking at the risk-benefit ratio, that means there's more risk, um, less benefit, you don't get the shot. If there's more benefit and less risk, you do get the shot. Uh, but the shots are always going to be, you know, um, uh, up to the individual or the parents. Now, when we look at gastrointestinal problems, absolutely rampant. We're talking 54% of American children have some type of chronic illness or disease. But when you look at uh, reflux, constipation, uh, diarrhea, I mean, the inflammatory bowel disease, they are all at epidemic proportion. When we look at the Journal of Pediatrics, this is May 2014, gastrointestinal symptoms in autism spectrum disorder. Conclusions, research indicates, results indicate greater prevalence of gastrointestinal symptoms among children with autism spectrum disorder compared with controls. And, and so you see this results after results after results or study after study that shows that neurologic damage is associated with gut function. Uh, here's one out of Scandinavian Journal of Education Research. Very, very cool article. Now, this was published in uh, 2006. And the title of the article is Autistic Syndromes and Diet, a Follow-Up Study. Uh, quote, the peptides, some of which probably derive from gluten and caseins, are thought to have a negative pharmacological effect on attention, brain maturation, social interaction, and learning. Our hypothesis was that a diet without these proteins would facilitate learning. End of quote. So think how exciting this is. So they're looking at a gluten-free, dairy-free diet to see how it would affect in the positive or negative aspect of kids in their social behavior, learning, and communication skills. Well, sure enough, uh, what they found uh, was social behavior as well as cognitive communication skills were assessed before the diet uh, and were closely followed for a year, which their urine was retested uh, and assessment of behavioral skills. Uh, further retesting was made after four years of the onset of the dietary innovation, uh, in, intervention. Normalization of urination patterns was found. Peptide levels were found after a year to be normal. Also, a decrease in odd behavior and improvement of social and cognitive and communication skills. So that's pretty clear. However, when you're looking up journal articles on dietary changes and, and neurologic damage or gut damage, um, there's a lot of negative um, articles on diet changes. I think, you know, and you could go into politics on that, like the medical world isn't really taught about nutrition, so that could be a contributing factor. However, when you look at frontiers of pharmacology, the ketogenic diet is a treatment for diverse neurologic issues. Now, they've been using ketogenic diets, we're talking back in the 30s and 40s, high-fat diets, for epilepsy and found it worked very, very well. But also epilepsy, um, neurotrauma, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, sleep disorders, uh, multiple sclerosis. So it turns out that high-fat diets are amazingly good. Another journal article uh, out of uh, Nutritional Science, and this one, again, talking about how gluten-free and casein-free diets actually help with autism spectrum disorder. 
when we look at uh, neuroinflammation and encephalitis and autism, see, itis is inflammation. And we're looking at brain inflammation with a lot of people with autistic-like symptoms. Gut inflammation, brain inflammation. So there is some type of tissue damage that's occurring. This doesn't happen spontaneously. So there is absolute outside influences in or, or environmental factors that are uh, triggering it. Uh, when we look at um, frontiers of cellular neuroscience, and this is out of 2016, Revelance of Neuroinflammation and Encephalitis in Autism. That's the title of the article. The dramatic rise in autism spectrum disorder began in the 90s, and in the past two decades, the rates of autism have increased 289%. The sudden dramatic rise of autism spectrum disorder prevalence has in some ways caught the medical community off guard. In the midst of a meteoric rise in rates of autism and autism spectrum disorder, significant new research into the physical symptoms has been done. And this is exciting because now they're actually finding, okay, and this is um, neurologic signs of regression. And they're looking at a positive anti, it's, it's called an M, NMDA receptor antibodies. Uh, and this could be the start of checking our kids for genetic anomalies that if presented with um, an environmental factor, you got to figure all of these genetic susceptibilities uh, are triggered by something in the environment. Now, could it be glyphosates? Could it be the vaccines, the neurotoxins? Could it be the processed foods? Absolutely, some type of environmental factor is triggering genetic expression because there's a huge difference between genetic and genetic expression. And genetic expression could be you're reversing cancer or you're causing cancer. Um, now, uh, more articles, and this is out of the Harvard Review of Psychiatry, uh, Gastrointestinal Issues in Autism Spectrum Disorder. Uh, listen to this quote. A preponderance of evidence suggests that significant subset of autistic individuals exhibit gastrointestinal abnormalities and that gastrointestinal issues can contribute to the clinical manifestations of autism spectrum disorder-associated symptoms, including abnormal behavior, immune dysregulation, and metabolic dysfunction. Uh, moreover, examining how gastrointestinal disturbances affect brain and behavior in animal models for autism can reveal promising targets for development of biomolecular diagnostic and therapeutic for autism spectrum disorders. Amazing. Okay, so now let's look at this because we're going to be de detoxing people for brain function. This means autism, Alzheimer's, dementia, and, and just, just overall body. Here's basic recovery. For one, um, stop injecting foreign proteins, okay? No toxic adjuvants, no neurotoxins. So, you know, until we develop clear testing that shows that injecting a vaccine with the adjuvants, with the additives, is safe for your child, we're not going to do the CDC recommendation where they say, well, it's bad for your kid if your kid already had a bad response to it. Yeah, right. Okay, if your kid's first response 
or negative response to a vaccine is developing autism or brain damage, that's that's a lifetime negative where he will never recover. Uh, that's stupid. Okay, if we're going to put a medical procedure in a healthy child, we have to prove that it's safe and will not harm that child. So basic recovery, here it is. This is what you do. First, stop the injection of foreign proteins that can initiate inflammation. And this is almost every vaccine. Get on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. Okay, that means immediately. That means no gluten. There's tons of gluten-free breads out there. No animal products for 60 days. That means no chicken nuggets, no eggs, nothing. Why? Because animal products are very hard to digest. And you figure most of these people that are in a stressed state, they're producing less stomach acid, so it's harder for them to break down the animal proteins. Now, you have to get omega-3s. Omega-3s in whole food form. Uh, fish oil is great, okay, as long as it's from small fish like anchovy, mackerel, sardine, absolutely essential for a healthy brain function. If you're a vegan or vegetarian, you can get it in algae form. And all supplements have to be in whole food form. Why? Because the person that's in this stress state that has the brain damage or gut dysfunction, they're not producing healthy amounts of stomach acid, so they can't really break down the pill form. And we have to look at the brain function. Symmetrical movements trigger the cerebellum, a part of the brain in the back, and that cerebellum controls the frontal lobe. So how would you like just movement to change frontal lobe dysfunction? That means just moving your body, your body, your arms, your legs, is going to stimulate that cerebellum at the back of the brain and actually have a calming effect on the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe, you're looking at depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, impulse control. Everything is in that frontal, frontal lobe. And that cerebellum, the movement triggers it. So symmetrical movements, this means walking daily. If you can, walk in the grass or move your arms symmetrically. Also, look at all the other environmental factors you may be exposed to. Change your soaps. Get pure castle soap. Do not use any soap that are, that are antibacterial because those have triclosan in there and the, the antibacterial can actually pierce your skin, destroy the normal skin flora. It's dangerous. Also, be aware of electromagnetic frequencies. Uh, now that they're coming out with a 5G, and we're going to be doing a talk on 5G, it's absolutely toxic to the brain. If you figure under just magnetic um, uh, magnet studies, unipolar magnets can actually affect how cells do their transfer of nutrients. But when you have a massive electromagnetic frequency bombardment, it can absolutely negatively affect brain function. Now, Europe is way ahead of America on this. They have a distance or a list of different types of cell phones, and the distance that cell phone needs to be away from your brain to not negatively affect it. Um, and, and basic recovery, look at different environments. Okay, move um, uh, around. Okay, you get up, change your environment, because we're looking at physical, chemical, and emotional stress. When you take the average depressed, autistic, anxiety-ridden person, they're going to be in a room, 
And when they go through an emotional state, they're going to be looking at their wall or their TV or their laptop or something. And if you're consistently having an emotional state looking at an object, when you see that object, that's going to elicit an emotional state. So get in and change the room around. Paint the walls. Change the furniture. I, I got to tell you, my mom would go yard selling. Now, figure single mom, four kids, and she would go to yard sales and change furniture like people change their socks. Why? Because she liked a different of environment. She liked that, that freedom. So change your environment. And then fermented foods daily, no processed foods. If man makes it, you do not eat it. Okay, that's clear. Um, the, the processing of foods you have to take out, um, typically it's going to be the metabolic enzymes, but they have metabolic and digestive enzymes in food. And they take that out so that bacteria don't find the food attractive, so it has a longer shelf life. However, it's really hard for your body to break it down. So fermented foods daily from different sources. So what's the solution for, for kids starting out? Well, I had two great kids today. And it, one, um, you're talking 10 years old, the other 7 years old. Well, the 10-year-old, they noticed that he had a negative response after the first round of vaccines and the hospital birth, everything else. So they stopped him there, which is fine, because we're going to you know, get the kid's gut healthy. Yes, he does have gut dysfunction. You're, you're almost never going to see a normal gut in an un, or an abnormal gut in an unvaccinated person or a normal gut in a vaccinated person. Those vaccines directly equate with uh, increased intestinal permeability or gut leaky gut. So what's the solution for kids? Well, get a home birth or a midwife. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, get a birth plan because you don't need the vitamin K shot. That actually has polysorbate 80, which crosses the blood-brain barrier. Hold off on vaccines until the kid's uh, blood-brain barrier is formed. That means they're about teenagers. And also... Hopefully, by the time a child, if he's born today, by the time they're teenagers, we'll have accurate testing to see if the vaccines can negatively affect the child. If they can negatively affect the child, then that's not a good procedure. There's several other ways that you can strengthen the child's immune system other than injecting a foreign protein. Uh, there's a lot safer ways to strengthen the child's immune system other than vaccination. It, it's going to upset a lot of the pediatricians because they're going to have to go back to school and learn nutrition. Um, make sure you breastfeed the kid. Organic food for mom and baby. Make sure you have a chemical-free household. And this is essential because there's so many toxic chemicals in, um, in cleaning products. Uh, like Febreze, completely toxic. And avoid all processed foods. Because remember, that processing of the food, get it as minimally processed as possible. Frozen food, typically like frozen organic, is going to be cheaper and less toxic than, than possible. Um, now, we've got, I'm going to bring up some ways to get certain vaccine exemptions, although that 
<laughs> the talk I did was two years old, and most of these exemptions don't work. Uh, there are a number of different organizations now, medical organizations, that are upset that the state government is taking away the rights of medical doctors to write an exemption. And so luckily, the medical doctors being told by the state that they're no longer uh, qualified to make a decision regarding a vaccine exemption according to SB 276, a uh, law that's just going to be passed in California coming up, um, that they're upset of that. So the state is literally... Um, wiped out the parent influence, now it's wiped out the medical influence, so now the state officer is going to be the one to decide if the vaccines are appropriate for you. So, so now let's look at healthy fats that you could take. Okay, now healthy fats, um, organic butter from, we're talking grass-fed, hormone-free, range-free cows. Coconut oil is excellent. Palm oil is good too, but palm oil is really not good for the environment. Uh, look at organic olive olive oil, fresh flaxseed oil, because that literally rancidifies very quickly. And avoid the poisonous engineered fats. So no cheap junk oils, no soy, no cottonseed, no rapeseed oil, no hydronated oils. Those are completely poisonous. We're going to come up with a couple of cleanses that you can do. There's a three-day cleanse and a seven-day cleanse at um, veirons.com. And it is um, really disgusting. I've done it because you do supplements, a cleansing drink, and you're literally drinking bentonite clay. And then you do supplements, cleansing drink, supplements, cleansing drink. And you literally do this every day for three days or seven days, and it cleans you out. Also, look at colonics. Now, it's really important that you get a qualified colon hydrotherapist but colonics, particularly in somebody that is, um, well, let's just say that they're not healthy. Okay, they're not going to have healthy bowel function. Uh, the colonic literally fills the intestinal tract with fluid and drains it out. And what's amazing is they'll be able to see if you have excess candida, if um, what's coming out of you. Also, for extreme cases, you could do oral, IV, or suppository um, chelation methods. Now, there's a lot of simple chelations. You can do, um, you know, just uh, bentonite clay. You can do activated charcoal. But there's one called EDTA. Now, this was developed back in the 30s by the Germans to remove heavy metal poisoning from ingestion of lead, mercury, aluminum, cadmium, and it works really well. In fact, this is one of the things that we do at our clinic in Tijuana. We'll do vitamin IVs to chelate or cleanse out heavy metal toxicities. The problem is a lot of the IV chelations can remove a huge amount of good stuff too. So you've got to follow up any type of chelating agent with some type of nutrient to build up the, um, the nutrient level. So you build up the healthy mineral level, the healthy vitamin levels. Now, here's some ideas. Before you're doing um, a metal detox, make sure you do a colon cleanse and a liver cleanse. Why? Because cleaning out the colon and intestinal tract, when you're doing an oral chelation, you're putting chelating agents into your body. 
if you have slow gastric motility, like less than one poop a day, your body is going to be resorbing those toxins. So it's absolutely vital that you get, that you eliminate or or have healthy elimination before you do detoxing in the body. Um, we're going to go through and talk about how to literally eliminate, okay, and detox the body. Glutathione and bicarbonate nebulization is fantastic. Now, when glutathione is um, one of the main protectorants of the brain, sulfur-rich foods contain it, such as garlic, onions, uh, broccoli, kale, collard greens. Um, nebulizing glutathione in kids with damage to the gut and damage to the brain is absolutely fantastic. It works really well for adults, um, but glutathione is also depleted. Now, this is one of the main things that protect the brain. It's depleted by Tylenol, so make sure you avoid Tylenol or acetaminophen. And tonight, we're going to go over a number of different products, and this is all stuff you can get from the store that will bind to toxins, detoxic. But but ideally, look at this. If you're eating a natural, healthy, organic diet, just like your great-grandpa did, you got say, the same medications that your great-great-grandpa did, which is none. You're going to live healthy. You're designed to live on this planet. Throw fear in the trash can. You walk by a mirror, you look at your reflection, and you smile. Um, you're designed to thrive on this planet. It's just with our arrogance and ignorance of trying to master the environment and master health, we're actually toxifying the environment and toxifying your health. Let's go back to what your great-grandparents did and live healthy and live long. Your body is made brilliantly. It's an intelligent design. Um, let's work within those design parameters. Healthy, organic, pray every day, meditate. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you. I love you.